0: Welcome to Saying the Quiet Part Out Loud, a podcast from LiveRamp. I'm your host, Daniela Harkins, and I am beyond delighted to be joined today by Lara McElhenny, the Chief Data Officer at Horizon Media. Lara, welcome. How are you today?
1: Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. I'm doing good. We finally have some nice weather. I wish I were outside enjoying it a little bit more.
0: For everybody else knowing, as we were talking and prepping, Lara, is uh, is close to the ocean, is close to the beach. So I think we're all a little bit envious of her today, especially those of us in the, in the Northeast. So anyway, hey, Laura, why don't you start? Obviously, I know you pretty well. You're one of my partners in crime, but I would love for you just to, you know, share a little bit about yourself with some of the folks that are listening in today.
1: Absolutely. As Danielle had mentioned, I am Chief Data Officer at Horizon Media, being the largest privately held company in the United States, super excited and and lucky to be working for such a phenomenal company. And in a nutshell, really, I manage all of the data that flows into the agency, the data that flows out and the tech stack that surrounds it and the infrastructure that surrounds it. I think something that's unique about my position as a CDO is that in a lot of companies, you see that role reporting up through IT and they don't really have a direct connection to the brands and to the businesses and to the clients. At Horizon, I report up through the business and and report up right all the way up to the CEO, but working very closely with the business and the data strategists and the teams that are managing our clients' business day to day.
0: I mean, it's clear that then the the data strategy component is core to driving the business, driving the growth that you see within the agency, I'm assuming. Pretty big signal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, data has always been at the forefront of agencies since I've been in the business. And, you know, I'm not going to say how old I am, but I'm pretty old. It's always been at the forefront. I think what's different is the granularity of the data we have available Mm -hmm. to us today, the technology in order to utilize that data and the transparency around it. And so I think, you know, a traditional media company isn't a traditional media company anymore. You don't buy and plan media like you used to back in the day when I grew up in the business. It really is Truly data driven. It's a data driven yeah. marketing play through, yeah. through and through. You know, you yeah. really become marketing partners with your clients versus just being the media agency.
0: Yeah, so true. And you know, you sit at the epicenter. You like the way I'm telling you what you do, but I I'm going to anyway. You sit at the the epicenter of data and customer intelligence, and really supporting and driving the client conversations about how to increase and and have a really heightened customer experience. So I think the topic that I'd love to talk with you about today is is really relevant to your role and your experiences and that's around you know how do you build customer intelligence and power right data collaboration but before we jump into that it you know I always say I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the last year and I think everything that we've learned because you and I've spoken at a couple of events together and you know it's clear 2020 fundamentally changed some things. So I'd love to know, since you sit now at the intersection of data technology marketing, can you talk to me about maybe something that you learned as part of 2020?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this has also been said since the beginning of time, right? Clients always want more for less, right? That doesn't Mm -hmm. change. I think what happened in 2020 though is one partnership's were extremely important. You got to realize who your partners were, yeah. who were the people you wanted to do work with, and how relationships really do matter, right? It's very yeah. important. Those relationships yeah. really do matter. I also think that data really was at the forefront. Like we needed to make it work harder for us because mm. we really did need to make our dollar Work harder, you know, particularly in media. You're looking at what happened beginning of the pandemic when you had sports that just were all of a sudden died. Yeah, gone. Died, right? You have all this investment that's spent on broadcast, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's spent in sports, it's spent in broadcast, it's spent in venues. What are we going to do with this, and how are we going to do that? And so, when you take a look at that and you realize, wow, you know, the clients that were more data savvy were definitely positioned more to pivot quicker, right? Mm-hmm. And being able to help drive your clients to get to that position was a big thing that we learned, right? Trying to set up those strategies for all of our clients, our, our technically savvy clients, our data savvy clients to our not so data savvy clients, right? And even in businesses where it's typical for brick and mortar, how do you pivot them to an e yeah. type strategy? Yeah. So, you know, all of that was def- definitely lessons learned of how do you future proof yourself, period. How do you future proof yeah. yourself, right? We yeah. were lucky enough that we had a lot of data at our forefront that we could utilize for our clients on their behalf. So yeah. we, I think we were luckier than most. And we you know, obviously have phenomenal clients that we've been able to work with.
0: Would you say, I might be leading the witness here, but I, I feel like as you think about, focusing on 2021 and how you're working with your clients, is that idea of that broader definition of future-proofing, is that still first and foremost as you drive into strategies for this year and beyond?
1: Absolutely. And I think clients are realizing that they need to own a lot of their own assets, right? Gone are the days where companies are putting their hooks into brands and the brands can't leave them, right? The brands don't want that. They need to have portability. They need to have adaptability. And yep. they need to know that their data is their asset and that they own it. So you're seeing a lot of brands that are building out their own internal tech stack and need to be able to plug and play. And I hate using that word because it seems like a cop out like, oh, yeah, we mm-hmm. can plug and play with everything. It's a real statement. It's a real like, statement, it, yeah, a real, statement real strategy. And you really have to be able to do that. You have to have infrastructure that is nimble, and you also have to have infrastructure, not just on the technological side, but on the business side, meaning the people that Mm -hmm. are just as nimble in decision-making. That was another lesson learned from 2020, is that some brands can make decisions quicker than others, and it can really inhibit you if you can't pivot and make a decision quickly.
0: That's a really good point because we oftentimes talk about it in terms of technology. We don't necessarily talk about it in terms of the people, right being able to make decisions learn adapt and make decisions exactly yeah interesting exactly. so i'm going to talk about i literally wrote down data plus infrastructure for a second because i think that plays well into customer intelligence and i'd love to hear from you on what is it how do you define it why is it important and then how does that give some of your clients a strategic advantage in the marketplace
1: yeah i think that customer intelligence has always been important maybe it just has a sexier name to it now every client needs to understand their consumer and every client needs to understand the journey of a consumer. And customer intelligence really means if you understand that journey and you understand what's important for the consumer, then you can help deliver content that's gonna make that journey that much more pleasurable and not make them angry, right? All we want to do at the end of the day is engage, have a brand engage with a consumer and make it meaningful, make that engagement meaningful and wanting them to to engage back with you. You want it to become a two way kind of street. And I think that's the core of what customer intelligence is. And how can you do that and how can you bring it not just to media and targets and segments, but how do you do content of the whole picture?
0: So, Laura, as we think about customer intelligence and we think about kind of all of the value that it can bring when we're building meaningful experiences, it's not easy. We talk about it at a very high level. We talk about it almost in an overly simplistic way, but the reality is it's not easy. Can you talk to us about some of the challenges that you see or that you're helping your clients get through as it pertains to really kind of harnessing the power of customer intelligence?
1: Absolutely. So I think, you know, the biggest thing is for clients understanding what their internal data assets really are, and growing what that internal data asset looks like. And, you know, we think of it as first party data, but that first party data can be made up of a whole host of different things. It could be your media data. It could be your performance media, how you're performing. It could be web traffic data, CRM, loyalty programs, so forth and so on. And being able to have a handle of what that data asset is, being able to utilize that to help drive what you already know about your consumer, and then being able to find the right data assets that are going to help you enrich and enhance what you already know about your consumer. Because that's going to help you not only bring new consumers to you as a brand, but also to understand what is driving your existing consumer and understanding how you can engage with them and upsell or potentially give more brand lift or whatever that KPI may be for you. And around that is all the data privacy laws. Now, I'd like to say that that's a good thing. Data privacy is a good thing. It actually helps us gain more access to data that clients are willing to share with us. And that we have found that a lot of consumers are willing to share information about themselves if it's going to benefit them. But yeah. you have to show that
0: benefit. Pretty immediately, you have to show the benefit, right?
1: You can't wait for it. It's it's this immediate gratification that the consumer wants. And if you can show that and you can help your clients drive that to gain more information about their consumer and to drive content, better content to the consumer, I think that the quicker you can get there, the the better you are. And so we help drive them from a consultative standpoint on that fact. Data privacy hurts us in regards to measurement. So measurement is the hardest part of our business, right? When you take a look at it, we can find the people we want to advertise to, and we can take the data that we know about these people, and we can drive better content for them. But showing that proof is the hard part. Interesting. And being able to take those insights and stitch it back and create that nice like circular vision, right? Because- Media and engagement with your consumer is not one way; it needs to be two way, and it needs to constantly feed the wheel. Yep. Right. As yep. you learn, it's like almost like taking that test and learn approach, but that should apply to everything that you're doing. You're constantly learning and enhancing and optimizing as you go. So when you take a look at at that on the backside, that's where it hurts. And you know, we we talked about earlier, prior to getting onto this podcast, we talked about data collaboration. That's a way that the industry could really work together. Yeah. To help bridge those gaps and to help solve the biggest gaps that we have across the industry.
0: It's interesting. I want to double click on that for a second, because I was literally writing down some of the the points that you were making around enhancing what you know about a consumer, the complex data privacy. So talk to me as we progress as an industry about data, like, how do you think about data collaboration? And then specifically, when we think about enhancing what we know about a consumer and the privacy piece of it, I'd be interesting to know your thoughts there around, can data collaboration help in those areas?
1: Yeah, I mean, data collaboration means different things to different people. There's many different aspects to data collaboration. There can be data collaboration where you have data co-ops, where you have smaller brands that don't have enough first party data, but they have enough that they could share back, you know, in a consortium of like-minded categories where they could share their data between each other and and without giving away trade secrets, utilize that to learn more about brands. You could take mortgage companies and insurance companies, and you could marry those data assets together to really create a big picture. It's going to drive both, right? Somebody looking to buy a new home, somebody that needs new homeowner's insurance, so forth and so on. So that's one type of data collaboration, but there's also data collaboration in regards to the brands and the media outlets and the media partners, right? There's a lot of data that these media partners have that they don't necessarily want to part with because that may be their own special sauce, but that special sauce could also be utilized to help drive and close the gaps as we were talking about in regards to measurement. And if the media partners and the media outlets could agree upon what that structure would look like and what the rules would look like in the guardrails, I think that could be a huge opportunity for the industry.
0: It's interesting. So, we talked about from a data collaboration standpoint, the co op, which there have been starts and stops of co ops for like probably as long as you and I have been in the industry. And I think there's varying success to a co op model. I'd love the example that you gave between insurance and maybe investment, or, you know, think about financial services that are complementary. Or if you think about, you know, two brands, right? One that might be data rich, one that might not have as much data, but they're very dependent. So, retail, CPG, there's that sort of model. And then, you know, you talk about it from a media partner standpoint, be it a publisher and brand type of integration, be it a television, right, and brand sort of integration. It's really, I, I love that idea. And I think there's a lot of benefits that come with it if you can agree to what the rules of that usage is up front.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Those guardrails do need to be in play and there needs to be a consortium of of sorts. You know, people like to be led. You just have yeah. to find who
0: that leader is. When you think about the complexity of data privacy, how does that play into this idea of data collaboration? Does it facilitate it? Does it make it harder? I
1: mean, this is going to sound crazy. I actually think it helps because it's it's black and white. You either have you know consumers that want to participate or they don't want to participate. And It makes it easier to share the data. What is hard is the processes and the governance around it. And if you don't have the right governance around it, at all of the players that are part of this like data sharing or or, or data consortium, if you will, then it can break down and it can fall because they all have to be following the same framework to ensure that data privacy is happening and that you have, if an opt out's happening, that it's happening through the entire food chain of that data collaboration where those points are. But if you have that in in place, then it can be a beautiful thing um, and very easy to manage, right? Because it's it's black and white you're either in or you're out
0: yeah i agree i'm going to give one more question around data collaboration and kind of customer intelligence do you see your clients kind of pushing for this do you see them wanting to do more and trying to figure out let's say new innovative ways of being able to share data i'm seeing twofold we have
1: clients that are realizing they need to own more of their asset and want to be Mm -hmm. more protective, but they realize that they need to share their asset out to drive their business. Back in the day where you would have very data-rich clients, but they didn't know what to do with their data, but they still kept it in-house and they didn't share it even with their agencies. It became a problem and it is a problem because how can you be expected to help drive campaigns into sell something or drive an outcome if you don't have access to their most valuable asset, right? But I think there's a trust that has to come with that. And that trust is if you let the clients know your asset is your asset and you own it, that's your asset. Whether it's media performance, media data, media campaign, sales data, whatever it may be, CRM data, that is still your asset. And the only thing we're doing with it is learning to understand your consumer, to understand, get to customer intelligence, yep. if you will, to drive better campaigns and to drive better outcomes. And you show that you're in it with them. It's shared risk, share reward. It can be extremely beneficial across the board. And I think it's, those are the big conversations or the hard conversations that you have to have with your clients and be fully transparent with what you're going to do with it, what you're hoping to get out of it, and also not be afraid to show when there's a failure, because we get better with failure, it would be silly for us to think that failures aren't a part of everything we do.
0: Well, and it's really interesting. So first off, thank you so much for the insights. I think it's really interesting talking about the failure piece. It's that this is very like, we're still nascent in the data collaboration, we have been living in a world where you have first party data. And and to be fair, it's been a very finite definition of what first-party data means, to your point earlier, and then how that drives customer intelligence and the third-party relationships that we had. And I feel like we've been talking about second-party data. We've been talking about data collaboration. We've been talking about those things for a long time. But I think it's only now that we're actually starting to see the tools. The, it's not just, again, it's not just the technology. It's those that have the data that are looking at this and saying, wow, actually this can power a better, it it can power my business, but it can also power a better consumer experience, whether it's for me or one of my complimentary partners as an example. Really interesting. Laura, I so appreciate your time and insights. I always learn from you. So I thank you. But before I let you go, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. This is, All all right. All right. So we made it to 2021 speed round. Have you been dreaming about the first vacation you're going to take?
1: Yes. And I'll tell you, so I had a trip planned with my girls last year. We were going to Paris. They've never been to Paris. I've gone a million mm-hmm. times, mostly for work. And we had this whole trip planned. My daughter graduated from high school, going into college, and we wanted to have this big trip planned. And it was completely canceled, yeah. obviously, last minute. So I think that would, I'm dying to go That's back. It's be your first one. I, I think that will be my first at least out of country trip. We've done a lot yeah. of like driving trips, mm-hmm. but uh, that would be my first big trip is is to head. But I love Paris.
0: I do too. I'll, I'll tell you, it's the, I think all of us are feeling like the need to get back on it. An, for anybody that travels, the need to get back on the airplane. And then last question, is there anything like new show or anything that you binged in 2020 that you can't get enough of?
1: So I'm going to embarrass myself right now, but I'm going to do, do it. it anyways. So I have five children, all different ages And totally binge watched Gossip Girl. Had never seen it, binge watched it. Absolutely loved it. I'm ashamed to admit it, but absolutely loved it. Enthralled with these 17 year olds that, you know, literally it was true drama TV. And then I went back and rewatched with my boys, Dexter, which (gasps) the root
0: for the bad guy, man. That is a great show. Yeah. It's dark and beautiful. I love it. Oh, I love it. it. (laughs) Laura, I adore you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your insights. Always super helpful. And I I appreciate your partnership and your friendship. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast was brought to you by LiveRamp. You can find us online at LiveRamp.com and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at LiveRamp. Subscribe to Saying the Quiet Part Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you listen to podcasts.